1: Too often, we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease, but these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy Malhotra.
0: Welcome everyone to Generation Regeneration and happy St. Patrick's Day to our live listeners. I'm Sandra Malhotra, your host. Thank you for joining me, whether it be live or on demand. We appreciate all of our listeners and our goal with the show is to provide information and support for those who want to take ownership of their health and engage in a lifestyle that regenerates their body, mind and spirit. And today, Dr. Kenneth Charlin is joining us to discuss his metamorphosis from conventional allopathic MD, who focused mainly on treating symptoms of illness and with pharmaceuticals and surgeries, to a functional MD who treats the root causes of illness by addressing the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Charlin.
2: Well, thank you, Sandra. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you here because I'm excited about the increasing popularity of functional or integrative medicine because it combines the best of both worlds, the modern and the ancient and holistic. The western medical approach is quite valuable in cases of traumatic injury or surgery or pharmaceuticals are the only solution. However, it doesn't do the best job of delving into the complicated physical, emotional, and spiritual root causes of chronic illness. Nor does it really teach us how to stay healthy and avoid illness in the first place. The ancient and holistic modalities that consider emotional and spiritual aspects do a much better job of it. And on last week's show, for example, we featured shaman and medicine woman Renee Reed, and we discussed the importance of spirituality and divine connection on health and healing. You can catch that show on demand if you want to delve further into this topic. And it's my belief that the only way to shift our medical system from the allopathic to the integrative or functional is for us patients to demand it, and for medical doctors to reeducate and redefine themselves, like Dr. Charlin is doing. Unfortunately, the establishment is probably not going to do this for us, because illness can be quite profitable. So let's start the discussion, Dr. Charlin, by discussing what compelled you to make this change in your career? Were you unsatisfied in some way?
2: Well, I, I certainly was unsatisfied. Uh, I graduated from medical school in 1992. So in terms of practicing medicine in one setting or another, whether as an intern or resident or formally out in practice, I've been doing this for a little while. And medicine seems to have changed over the years. At the same time, you know, we've seen in a, an immense upswing in a variety of chronic diseases from autism to diabetes and the expected uh, significant rise, for example, in Alzheimer's disease. And so it's kind of a merging of how contemporary medicine is being practiced, which for me is largely driven by prescription medicines that Most of the time, treat symptoms and don't really get at the underlying disease process. And at the same time, watching my patients get sicker and sicker. And then finally, probably the third component is the disconnect. That is, between the physician and the patient and the uniqueness of the patient, the unique story that each of us brings to the encounter you know, sometimes I feel like there's a third person in the room and that's the insurance company executive helping to make the decisions. It just doesn't really seem right. So, no doubt about it, there have been a few things that came together to finally press my buttons. But, uh, in truth, the, the story is a little more involved than that. I was, uh, I was a college student, uh, in the 1980s. Uh, at a small liberal arts college in um Ohio called Kenyon and I was an English major at the time and I was I had a long-standing interest in writing I was interested in the story if you will and I knew I was interested in becoming a physician and ultimately I I became interested in the physician as writer and there's a, a great history of physician writers from Anton Chekhov and William Carlos Williams uh, to others, and I was fortunate enough to uh, become acquainted with a living physician writer whose name was John Stone. Uh, Dr. Stone was primarily a poet, also an essayist, had written several uh, books under uh, LSU Press, uh, had written several essays for the New York Times Sunday Magazine, and Dr. Stone and I initially became acquainted through a through a fan letter that I I wrote him and sent him several of my poems that I had written at the time, and one thing led to another, and I made a trip from Kenyon to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Dr. Stone was at Emory University. He invited me to come meet with him uh, to talk about uh, his work as a physician writer, and I returned to Kenyon with cassette tapes to. Uh, turned those uh, recordings into transcripts that eventually became a uh, bachelor's thesis in English. But what Dr. Stone left me was the idea that every patient was or had a unique story to tell. And so over the years, as I developed my own practice, I felt like we were losing that part of the art of medicine and I really I reached a turning point in my own career, in my own life, my philosophy as a physician where I felt like something had to be done. So that was a very important component of it.
0: That's very interesting. And, and it's clear that you bring a lot of heart to your practice as a physician, that it's not just um, a job for you. It seems like you are in it because you want to connect and really help your patients heal which is a very special quality.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. I also, over the years, became interested... Well, I, I wouldn't say that I'm naturally an athlete, but I became increasingly active or involved in an active lifestyle uh, much initially through my wife, who uh, started a bicycle club in the mid... Uh, well, about mid uh 2005, 2006... Uh, so I hadn't, you know, grown up at a time where we didn't have video games and we did ride our bikes and things like that. So I enjoyed that sort of activity and then got involved with things professionally and probably let my health slip a little bit, although I didn't really have any major illnesses that I was dealing with. But I knew I, you know, I, I wasn't active for a period of time, not particularly. Uh, so she started a bicycle club. We, of course, had to have bicycles to, uh, have a bicycle club. She was doing this through, uh, one of the major hospitals in our, in our city of Springfield. One thing led to another and, you know, I had not purchased a bike for many years and, the first bike uh, I bought, I thought I was spending a lot of money. It was, you know, probably $350. Um, <laughs> if you've ever, if you're a bike enthusiast, you know that's a drop in the bucket. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so it was a very, very short period of time where a $350 bike didn't cut it, and you went up to the $1,000 bike, and then you went up to the $2,000 bike and so forth. Right. And uh, we ended up, uh, I became very involved in cycling and after um, doing a lot of typical cycling activities for a few years, plenty of what they call century rides, which are the uh, hundred mile rides, the m s the rides for m s and so forth, I got a little bit bored um, and had in the interim had met some uh, individuals who had completed a triathlon, and I thought that was just about the most amazing physical feat I could think of. And as luck would have it, I was leaving a uh, local bike shop one day and saw an advertisement for a kid's triathlon, and it said, if your child signs up, then the parent can participate as well. And I had a 16-year-old son at the time, and I said, Gabe, would you be interested in doing this? And he was pretty athletic, and so he signed up, we both signed up, we trained, we completed our first triathlon and I was absolutely hooked, and um, one thing led to another, and I was—I've completed three Ironman triathlons and several half half half-iron-distance triathlons. And wow. the point here is, though, that I—if as you get into this stuff, it's not just about the swimming, biking, and running; it's really a whole lifestyle. And so I started to think about, well, how does nutrition influence, you know, what I do out there? Can I? You know improve my performance by changing my nutrition, and this is not a new idea. There are plenty of people writing about this and blogging about this and podcasting and I started listening to um, a fairly well known podcaster, a young man named ben greenfield who's who's wonderful he just puts out some fantastic stuff uh, and um, what I found fascinating with Ben is that he would start all of his podcasts with reviewing. Journal articles. And so I started thinking about the science of all of this. And when you start to think about the science of all this, it's just a stone's throw from thinking about, you know, what really builds health, what builds wellness, what builds resilience. Uh, I became interested in ancestral health, ancestral uh, lifestyle, paleo lifestyle. I read Lauren Cordain's books. I read Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson and all the other uh, paleo folks out there, and um, that led to uh, coming across Dr. David Perlmutter, who had at the time had just published Grain Brain.
0: That's a great book.
2: It's wonderful. And I thought, my goodness, this is a neurologist, you know, and he's talking Mm -hmm. about root cause medicine and he's talking about what, you know, really makes us sick. And um, so, of course, I read his book and I listened to every podcast I could find. He kind of made the rounds. And on one of the podcasts, he said, yeah, I just came back from the Institute for Functional Medicine where I was teaching one of their courses and I thought, what is the Institute for Functional Medicine? And I looked it up, and I I said, I'm, I'm home. You know, I've found my home. So, uh, Hallelujah,
0: the Institute you know, of Functional right. Medicine.
2: So, you know, it's kind of a combination of a lot of different things that lead a person down a particular path. It's rarely linear, I think, which is sort of how health and illness works as well. We love to talk about cause and effect, but it's It's so rarely that simple,
0: you know that's correct, and that's a great story it It seems like you were fertile for this discovery of functional medicine because just how you were approaching medicine with the intention of really wanting to heal the whole person. And then through your personal life, you made some discoveries about nutrition and health and wellness. And then there's the Institute of Functional Medicine. So let's get into that on the other side of the break. We can delve into how you actually re-educated yourself through the Institute of Functional Medicine and what you learned. So thank you so much for that story about your journey to functional medicine. And that does bring us to our first break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and we're talking to functional MD Dr. Kenneth Sharland about the growing field of functional medicine, of which he is a part. Thank you for joining us. And in the next segment, we're going to talk more about how he made the transition. And we're also going to get into one of my favorite subjects, which is food and nutrition. Stay tuned. Your life,
3: your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more.
3: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag genr. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration.
0: And welcome back. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and today we're talking to functional MD Dr. Kenneth Charlin. And before the break, he talked to us about how he came to the point personally and professionally where he wanted to expand the boundaries of his conventional practice and move into being more of a functional MD. And in order to do that, he became involved with the Institute of Functional Medicine. So now, Dr. Charlotte, tell us about the Institute of Functional Medicine and the types of practice modules that you're taking there.
2: Absolutely. And, and I should say that, you know, I have chosen the Institute for Functional Medicine for my education, but in fairness, there are uh, a couple of other avenues, at least a couple of other avenues, uh, that are organizations that uh, do provide uh, probably similar uh, education, but the method that I am specifically learning uh, is through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, so as I mentioned before the break, that I had learned about IFM uh, through David Perlmutter. Dr. Perlmutter had mentioned uh, uh, being faculty at IFM, and I just Googled IFM. You know, Google is where all great knowledge is located. <laughs> That's right. And uh, realized that this was uh, probably a really good fit for me. And I know it seems like it's ancient history, but in reality, this only goes back to last July. And I think I just really reached a low point in terms of morale, uh, in terms of thinking about practicing as a physician, my relationship with my patients, watching my patients just get sicker by the day, uh, feeling frustrated about what pharmaceuticals were doing, You know, even when I felt fairly positive about uh, writing a prescription for, say, a a medicine for multiple sclerosis, as an example, you know, the first question that I would be asked was, What is this drug going to do to me?
0: Right.
2: Um, So it becomes kind of an adversarial, uh, you know, situation. You you know, my patients like me, but, you know, what is this drug going to do to me? So my wife said, You know, Um, things are slowing down for you a little bit and there have been a lot of changes and I know you're frustrated and you've got the time and why don't you go take one of those courses that you've, you've talked about? Why don't you just go get started with this? And the way that the Institute for Functional Medicine organizes their didactic curriculum is they have a foundational course called Applying Functional Medicine. In clinical practice, and generally this has been offered once a year, although in 2015, for the first time they're offering it this month, it may have already happened, it was March 2015, I don't know the exact date, but uh, also in September. And then there are a number of advanced practice modules, and we can go through those. Uh, but the point is that in order to be certified through IFM, you have to take all of the advanced practice modules. I think there are six of them all together. Okay. So uh, it just happened to be that in July 2014, the hormone advanced practice module was being offered. It was in Denver, which is not too far from Springfield, Missouri. And um, so he we said, well, let's do it. Let's go check this out. And it was transformative. It was a wonderful experience. I should say to the listeners, you know, again, I, I'm 50 years old, and I've gone to many serious medical meetings, and this was a serious meeting, but I've never, ever been to a medical meeting where in the middle of the conference someone put on happy music, and we got up and danced. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's a whole different vibe, you know, and, yes. and it was really just so exciting, not only to see the number of attendees at the hormone uh, advanced practice module, but simultaneously they had the detox module going on, so it was a very large, very well-attended conference. Um, and that was the first, and that was followed by AFMCP in September 2014. Uh, and uh, as Mark Hyman will say, you know, uh, there's sort of no turning back. You know, you're, it's the red pill or the blue pill, like they say in The Matrix, you know. And once you swallow that pill, you just know you can't practice medicine the same way again. You know, it just opens up so many doors and so many ideas that it's very very hard. It's challenging, and we can talk about this because I still have an allopathic medical practice. But I thought, well, I'm going to kind of keep them separately. I'll have my functional medicine patients, and I'll have my regular patients. Mm. And that is a big challenge, and it's really it's not realistic in the long run because it's hard to keep quiet when you know better.
0: That's right. Uh, you know. So, That's right. Yeah, and the hormone module that you took, I've, I've had uh, MDs on here before. Dr. Christopher Nagy talked about the importance of hormone health, how, how critical it really is.
2: Yes, it is. It is. And it's important to understand how these hormone systems are interrelated. Yes. Um, as you know, it starts with the adrenals and understanding how the body manages stress, acute and chronically. It then trickles down to the thyroid and finally to the sex hormones. And although there are many people who hang a shingle whether they're physicians or not and advertise themselves as hormone specialists and they are rebalancing hormones and using bioidentical hormones. I would caution the listeners because I I didn't completely understand this, that I would not necessarily consider that functional medicine. And the Mm -hmm. hormone module was more about bringing balance back to the body and understanding that hierarchy and using nutrition and other approaches uh, rather than specifically administering hormones. Although that can be done, and it is done by functional medicine doctors, there is a bigger picture.
0: So there's a hormone-healthy lifestyle, Then a way that you can support uh, through lifestyle choices, food and exercise, the hormone balance?
2: No doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you had mentioned that you had recently taken a, a, an advanced practice module with regards to the immune system.
2: That's right. So, that is one of the other advanced practice modules, and I mentioned the detox module that occurs in July. Um, for, for the listeners, the other ones are a GI module, a cardiometabolic module and an energy module. So that covers all of the bases. And these are really... This is really about systems biology. That's what functional medicine is. It's sort of a a three-dimensional science. We talked a few minutes ago about the oversimplification of cause and effect. You know, if I consume too much sugar, I will get diabetes, if I smoke cigarettes, I will get lung cancer. And no doubt about it, neither one of those activities is a very good idea. Right. Um, but it's probably more complicated than that. And so while each of the advanced practice modules has a focus, uh, after having attended several of these now, uh, there's a tremendous amount of overlap. You can't talk mm-hmm. about the immune system without talking about the microbiome, for example. Yes. You know, um, they all relate to one another. You, you know, the mitochondria uh, are affected by all of this, They're, even though the mitochondria might be the focus of the energy module and so forth. Detoxification plays a huge role in all of this, so...
0: Yeah, that's interesting, while, yeah. yeah, the interconnectedness that you point out, because uh, although the Western medical approach may tend to separate our systems, uh, the heart uh, from the GI, from the immune system, that's a very powerful point that you're making there, that although you are taking these classes, uh, it's not that simple. There's actually so much interconnectedness between our body's systems.
2: That's right. Uh- in IFM they like to talk about the tree, uh where the far reaching branches of the tree are those end organ expressions of disease. But so we like to move down the trunk and down toward the roots. That's what functional medicine is. That's why we see the whole person. It isn't necessarily specifically holistic in the sense of energy medicine, which is an interest of mine, a tremendous interest of mine. It's holistic in the sense that it brings together these conceptual or these, I'm sorry, these conceptual systems that govern the delicate balance that is the human body. Those systems are assimilation, structural integrity, communication, transport, biotransformation and elimination, energy, defense, and repair. And, Those basic systems surround the the sort of spiritual, mental, emotional self that is the person. And so everything connects to everything.
0: And so I think you've pretty much explained how functional medicine works. How would you contrast the approach that you take with your functional patients as opposed to your allopathic patients. What's the difference in the way you treat them?
2: So in a typical allopathic uh, office encounter, for example, uh, someone might be referred to me for migraine. I'm a neurologist, so migraine is a common reason to see a neurologist. And we spend a lot of time talking about what's called the history of the present illness, you know, How long have you been suffering from migraine? Can you walk me through a typical attack? Is it unilateral? Is it throbbing, pulsating in quality? Does it make you sick to your stomach? Do you actually vomit? Is there light and sound sensitivity? Just a very detailed description of what is going on now. Now, we do collect a past medical history, a social history, but it's fairly cursory Past medical history just says, well, I have high blood pressure, I have diabetes, I have this and that. And honestly, in 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 practical terms, that's not a major focus. It's the history of the present illness, the neurological examination in my case, and then an assessment. Which, if it's a typical story of migraine, you know, that's pretty much the history takes it takes precedence and there's a management plan based on those symptoms. In the functional encounter, it's completely different. First of all, the patient arrives at the office having completed a very very detailed personal history questionnaire.
0: It could be, yeah, and that could be 5 to 10 pages long, correct? Actually, mine is, and I think this is pretty typical, is around 35 pages long. There you go. (laughs) Very detailed.
2: (laughs) Very detailed. Um, And so we then take that information, and I block out a significant amount of time to see the patient. Uh, In my office, it's maybe an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and it could easily be longer than that, um, but I, I do um, save a little bit of time in, in, with the protocol as I have developed it for my practice, and each functional medicine practitioner may be a little bit different in how they approach things.
0: And that's but, very different yeah. from the allopathic, where you may spend, what, 10 minutes Right? Yeah, absolutely. Although in a, yep. as a
2: neurologist, as a specialist, my evaluations do tend to be a little bit longer. Yes. Um, they tend to be very focused assessments. Okay. But Understood. we we really go through that person's life story. We start with uh, talking about their family, where they were born, the health of their parents. I'm interested in whether they were born as a full-term uh Natural childbirth was by cesarean section. I'm interested in whether they were breastfed or bottle-fed, uh, questions that wouldn't necessarily be asked when we're talking about migraine, but it's very relevant to migraine, actually. You know, whether there were early childhood illnesses, was there tonsillitis? Did the person have rounds of antibiotics early in life? Were there family stressors? early on, you know, what was the stability of the household, how much love was there in the household to sort of bring up last week's guest on your show, you know, that's very, very important. So we've developed this complete life history, and from that, we can understand the antecedents, the triggering events, as well as the mediators that play a role in the chief concerns that the person is bringing to that room. We can then take that information and populate something called the functional medicine matrix, which looks at all of those systems that I mentioned a few minutes ago. And we can understand how personal lifestyle factors both play a role as mediators, uh, that is if for example, if the person is relatively inactive or their sleep quality is poor or there are factors related to nutrition or stress or relationships, all of these play an important role in the expression of illness.
0: Okay. And on that note, actually, I'm going to interrupt you. We can continue this on the other side of the break, but that was a very nice description Uh, about the difference between the experience with uh, a more traditional allopathic MD and the initial experience with a functional MD. And so this is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Balhotra, and we're talking to functional MD Dr. Kenneth Charlin about the growing field of integrative medicine and how he helps his patients achieve sustained health. And in the next segment, we are going to talk about food, which we didn't get to in this segment because we got talking about so many other interesting things, and also talk about how he provides emotional support for his patients. See you on the other side with some more good stuff.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. Helping
3: you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at Wcuedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G Malhotra hashtag we are she looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration.
0: And welcome back. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra. And today we're talking to functional MD, Dr. Kenneth Sharlin. And before the break, he contrasted very nicely the difference in the experience that you will have as a patient with a more conventional MD versus a functional MD. A functional MD will really want to delve into your life history, even starting with birth, as he had mentioned, so that they can really understand you, your individuality, your uniqueness, your experience, and how that all plays into your present health or even your present illness. So now let's move on to my favorite subject of food. Uh, Dr. Charlene, I understand that conventional MDs don't learn that much about the role of nutrition on good health in medical school. Is this true?
2: You know, I have, I've heard that said a lot, and I was thinking about my own experience at Emory, which is a, you know, a very fine medical school. I was there from 1988 to 1992, and I cannot recall, and I could be wrong, but I can't recall a single class on nutrition. I can't recall any discussion whatsoever specifically about nutrition. So, That's
0: interesting. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> not good. Yeah, not, not good.
2: good. It's probably fair to say that uh even if there were a class or two on nutrition, it probably would have followed the American Heart Association, American Dietetics Association guidelines, you know, which would have been you know, the food pyramid with lots of grains and uh you know, fat is bad and you know, all those things. So either way, it's not good information.
0: This is true. Even if it had been provided, it might have been quite skewed from what we are beginning to understand is is very true today about food. So I know that from your description at the beginning of the show, you've delved quite a lot into the role of nutrition. So how do you advise your patients now?
2: Nutrition is one of the personal lifestyle factors that plays a role in building health. You know, food is not just something that we celebrate and something that we enjoy, although that is a very important part of food. But food is information. Food is medicine. And yes, food is energy, too, but in my opinion, there's too much emphasis on food as energy uh, because we all know that sort of the calories in, calories out model of eating doesn't work very well. Um, but uh, food is critically important and it's critically important to my practice. Um, for example, uh, I do recommend some of what I call foundational supplements to my patients. However, I tell my patients that Supplements are just that. They are supplemental. They are adjunctive. Um, we want to get our nutrition through real, nutrient-dense food. And I do take a, an ancestral health, a paleo-oriented approach. Mark Hyman did an essay that was a real splash several months ago called Why I Am a Pegan, and I thought that Mark read hit that. it right on the head. I thought it was that great. was perfect. And that is exactly what I recommend to my patients.
0: Okay, can you describe the pegan diet?
2: Well, the pegan diet, of course, he's merging vegan and paleo. Yes. It is an omnivorous diet, but it is a diet in which if we use our plate as geography, you know, at least half of that plate, if not about two-thirds of that plate, consists of a fresh and colorful variety of vegetables, primarily cruciferous over starchier vegetables, uh, and then uh, hopefully high-quality animal protein, which can be everything from grass-fed beef to our fatty cold-water fish like salmon, tuna, mackerel, sardines, so forth, uh, poultry, uh, pork, and so forth. Shellfish and possibly you know, organ meat, which has been traditionally consumed in cultures around the world for you know hundreds of years, although in the United States we've uh, largely moved away from eating that very important, very nutrient-dense part of the animal. So that's essentially what the Pegan diet is. It's is omnivorous, it's nutrient-dense, it's somewhat disproportionately uh, phytonutrient uh, representative, which is what we want, um, but it includes animal protein as well.
0: That's right. And you had mentioned high-quality animal protein. How do you define that?
2: Well, I would ideally promote... Uh, for example, if we were talking about uh, beef, we were talking about grass fed uh, organic free ranging animals, yes, or not fed grains uh, if we're, we could, this could include wild game, which by its very nature of course would be uh, feeding on the grasses and vegetation uh, where where that animal happened to gra- live and graze. Uh, Similarly, we encourage people to eat, uh, for example, if they're eating poultry, that the uh, chickens or other uh, poultry have had an opportunity to sort of peck at the ground and to eat, uh, you know, worms or insects. In other words, what that animal was naturally and genetically meant to eat.
0: That's right, and we had mentioned in previous shows that one of the most important reasons for this is because if an animal is stressed and not eating a native diet, then the fat profiles in their body become very unhealthy, and then as the consumer of that animal, then you're consuming those unhealthy fats. Is that, is that correct?
2: I would agree with that completely. Not only that, of course, but uh, fat as an important tissue uh, tends to be a storage tissue Uh, for chemicals, for toxins, heavy metals, and so forth. And so these commercially raised animals uh, who are eating potentially genetically modified grains, who are being pumped up with antibiotics or recombinant growth hormone, um, you know, just imagine we are what we eat, but we are also what our what the
0: animals ate that 's right so it 's really a problem that's that 's a very good point, yeah, and what we try to stress on this show is to be very aware of what your food ate because that will very much influence how unhealthy or healthy it is for you as the consumer. And then on top of that, there are just the ethical concerns, uh, the fact that millions of animals are treated pretty badly in factory farming situations. So there are a number of reasons why, even if it costs a bit more, uh, if it means you have to perhaps eat a little bit less of animal meat, that choosing the more wild, free-ranging variety is definitely doing your body good. No doubt
2: about it. And and I would bring up something that I should emphasize is highly theoretical. You know, it's just me thinking out loud. But I, I love the image that you bring up about the animal being stressed because um I mentioned earlier that, you know, food is information. Food talks to our cells. Food talks to our DNA. Food turns on genes that create enzymes and other proteins and makes us who we are. And many of your listeners may be aware of the growing science of epigenetics. Yes. And that is how our genes are in fact changed by our environment, but not only how our genes are changed and turned on and turned off and so forth, but how those changed genes can then be passed on from generation to generation. So That's know right. You've, you know, you've had shows in which your guests have talked about genetically modified foods and the potential that these foods can have to change our own DNA. After all, yes. that is the nature of a genetically modified food, that its DNA has been altered Well, couldn't the same thing be true of an animal, not just because uh, that animal has been given hormones, uh, which is a concern when it comes to consuming things like uh, commercial uh, milk, Uh, but what if that animal has been stressed, and how does that change their DNA, and how does that affect us? I don't think the answer is out there right now, but it is an interesting question.
0: It is an interesting question, yeah. And until a lot more questions are answered about the safety of genetically modified foods, uh, my recommendation and that actually of all the guests that I have on the show is that they should be avoided at this point. There are just too many questions. And that brings us actually to our final break. The time is just flying by here. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra. And we're talking to functional MD, Dr. Kenneth Charlin about the growing field of functional and integrative medicine and how he helps his patients achieve sustained health. We'll wrap up on the flip side. See you in a few.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: A new health and wellness community is coming in 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified. And we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn more.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G Malhotra, hashtag WeRGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration.
0: And welcome back. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and today we covered many fascinating subjects with functional MD Dr. Kenneth Sharlin. And what I'd like to do in this final segment is get into some of the emotional and spiritual aspects of healing. And as we discussed during our show last week with shaman and medicine woman Renee Reed, love is the most powerful force in the universe. And the spiritual belief that I subscribe to is that we are spiritual beings having an earthly experience. And at our core, we are love. It is what we were before we were humans, and it's what we'll be after. So, Dr. Charlin, how do you use love and positivity to assist in your patient's healing?
2: That is a wonderful question, and I'd like to answer your question in a story, if I may, which is that uh, when I went to the Applying Functional Medicine in Clinical Practice Conference last September. That was the single most important question that I had in my mind. Uh, that is what I wanted to learn. Um, you know, it's relatively easy to tell a patient, well, you have to eat better, you have to exercise more. Uh, we need to work on that stress issue. And as the expression goes, it's sort of easier said than done. So we really have to connect. And... uh Monique Klass is one of the instructors at IFM, gave those talks, and she is absolutely fantastic. And in a nutshell, I think it boils down to connecting with the patient. It boils down to putting the computer aside, getting close to the patient, listening listening carefully, taking that life story that we talked about earlier on, asking explicitly uh, to the the patient, what is it that motivates you? What is it that sort of forms your spiritual core? What do you do to de-stress? Where do you find peace? Those sorts of questions. Um, really dig down deep into understanding who that person is. What are their relationships? What is their upbringing? Reflecting that back to the person in the end to acknowledge and affirm and show appreciation for who they are and what they have brought to that encounter. That creates this incredibly powerful connection, a connection that we know from a scientific perspective can be measured. That's what all the heart mass data is all about. So once that happens, I think that creates a bond that then allows me to guide my patients through that personalized, that individualized plan of action to make those changes that are tough changes. Sandra, on a break we talked about how it would be relatively easy to have a recipe that one sort of prescribed to everyone. You know, you got to run more, you got to eat better, you got to sleep better, you got to work on your stress. And you and I know that just doesn't work very well. We have to take the basic information about what creates a healthy lifestyle, about how to bring balance into the body, about how to, you know, rebalance the gut or address oxidative stress in the mitochondria. But we have to bring that in a very personal way to the encounter, to the patient, to their personal, mental, emotional, spiritual self. And so although there are overlaps and there are similarities uh, in the plan from patient to patient to patient, you know, I might use an elimination diet, for example, how that is brought into the room, how that is expressed to the patient, and how we're going to start to chip away at these complex challenges will vary depending on the
0: person. That's a very wonderful description and I think really sums up what is wonderful about functional medicine um that it's not just about uh, providing instructions it's about really connecting with the individual and understanding their uniqueness and finding the best way possible for them to move forward as their partner uh and not someone who's sort of just telling them what to do and that's that's tremendously powerful and now we have only about 3 minutes left The time has just flown here. So before we wrap up, let's discuss your relationship with one of the founders of the holistic medicine movement, Dr. Norman Shilley, and the work that you're doing together at his clinic, the National Institute of Holistic Medicine. In just about two minutes, can you describe this exciting adventure?
2: yeah I uh, feel very, very fortunate to have gotten to know Dr. Shealy relatively recently. Uh, he and I uh, were introduced through a uh, my nurse, uh, Salida, who uh, worked for him for eleven years and uh, learned herself a lot about energy medicine and is uh, a practitioner in uh, the emotional freedom technique or tapping, Reiki, uh, mindfulness meditation. I actually have her uh, as a holistic medicine practitioner in my clinic, not just uh, my nurse. Um, But she brought us together. Uh, She uh, thought that Norm and I should meet. You know, Norm is, uh, you know, he's 83 and plans to live to 140, which, you know, awesome. you know, he's an amazing man. Um, and I'm 50, so I'm a couple generations younger. And he thought that we really would connect. Uh, he thought, I know that... Uh, Norm has been very interested in sharing his approach with someone of a younger generation. And so I went out to his farm after a phone call uh, and visited with him for several hours. And that long conversation uh, led to an invitation from him to participate uh, in the reopening of his clinic and ultimately to, uh, to take over uh, the management of his pain and depression uh, protocols, his intensive treatments uh,
0: that that's he a, is famous wonderful. for. wonderful. Yeah. yeah, that's a wonderful opportunity. And we wish you the best of luck with that. And believe it or not, that's all the time we have for today. So I'd like to thank you again, Dr. Charlin, for providing us a wealth of information about the functional medical field and how promising it is, and how you use it to really connect with your patients to help them achieve sustained health and wellness. Thank you.
2: Thank you. This was great fun.
0: And next week, our guest will be the multi-talented Dr. Nadine. She is a clairvoyant, medical intuitive, and naturopath. And she's going to delve into something that we mentioned today, the power of love, and in particular, the power of self-love. This is potent stuff. And until then, let's scoot over to Twitter, at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. Namaste.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit.